the scripture reminds us, in as much as it is appointed for a man to die once, for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. For those of us who have been saved, who are eagerly awaiting, he's coming back for salvation. To those who have never met him, he's coming back not as savior, but as judge. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl has been addressing biblical prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled in his series, God's Prophetic Schedule. Today's sermon is entitled, Are You Ready to Meet God? Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 says, Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Jesus is telling us that most people will be like the people were in Noah's day, totally unprepared when he comes back. And he wants his people to be in a state of readiness. Please join us in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, as we begin. Take God's word with you this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 25. If you're joining us for the first time, we are in a series called God's Prophetic Schedule. When we are finished, we'll go back to a book of the Bible and go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And of course, since a third of the scripture is prophetic in nature, we will deal even further with prophetic issues. But we are giving special focus in these days for the simple reason that we are living in the last of the last days, what the Bible calls latter times. And while many are alert to what is happening, sadly, the average congregation is not taught prophecy. They know little of it, and so God's people are asleep. So we began this series looking at the rebirth of Israel and the rapture of the church. The rapture is a signless event. The second coming is a prophetically driven event. They're part of the second coming program, but they are two distinct events. This chart might help you to visualize the difference. The rapture, the term comes from the Latin translation of the Bible to be caught up in Latin. It's the word that gives us our English word rapture. People say it's not in the Bible. Yes, it's in the Latin Bible, but there's a lot of terms that we use even from Latin that aren't in the Bible, like Trinity, like what's written on the front of this pulpit and the five solas behind me there on the window. In the rapture, Christ comes for his church. We will meet him in the air. He will take us to heaven. I go and prepare a place that where I am, you can be as well. And of course, nothing is ever needed to happen for the rapture to happen. Versus the second coming, Christ comes back with his church. We're with him. He comes to the earth. His feet literally are planted on the Mount of Olives. The scripture teaches us it's prophetically driven. All kinds of things have to happen for the second coming to happen. Now, the rapture is imminent. God could have taken their church away at 300, 500, 900 BC, 1500, I mean, excuse me, um, AD or 1500 AD, but he didn't. Now, had he done that, say at 1000 AD, then he would have to begin that process of gathering the Jews and bringing them into the land. And, but he's waited nearly 2000 years to set the stage for Christ's return from heaven. And the scripture is clear that at the end of the age, God will gather the Jewish people. And so today in Israel, there are 7 million Jews living there from over 100 nations of the world. And that's important 
because for the final prophetic schedule to happen, the Jewish people need to be in the land. We studied the battle of Gog and Magog, a very important battle. I suggested to you that it takes place after the rapture, before the signing of the peace covenant that the Antichrist will make with Israel that will begin officially that seven-year period. Why is it significant? Because there are five nations that will go against Israel initially. And the three leading nations have already joined themselves together, Russian, Russia, Iran, and Turkey. Here's a photo taken just six months ago. These three nations, a little over a decade ago, were arch enemies. Now they join arms with one particular goal that's common, their hatred for the people of Israel. And so we are witnessing, we are alive to watch God setting the stage for the return of his son from heaven. The Bible says that after the rapture, the day of the Lord will begin. If you will bring up the next slide, again, here's the big picture. We're in the church age right now. The church didn't exist in the Old Testament. Christ spoke of it where he said, I will build my church. It didn't exist, it's a unique entity that began on the day of Pentecost. After the church is built, the rapture will take place. There's a space of time, not shown here, but small space of time, and then the seven-year tribulation period begins. While that's unfolding on the earth, the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of the just happens in heaven. We studied that along with the wedding that will take place between Christ and the church. People might debate as to the timing of the supper, but no one debates that the wedding of the lamb to his church happens in heaven. While that is happening in heaven, this seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation period is unfolding. It's a dark time. And so we saw that this phrase, the day of the Lord, we did a whole message just on that. This, by the way, we've done 20 plus messages already in this series. The day of the Lord mimics a biblical day. A biblical day starts at sundown and ends with sundown. Even so, uh, I believe right now we're in the shadows of the day of the Lord. It's a biblical principle found in many places that coming events often cast their shadow uh, ahead of time. And uh, when the church is removed, it gets darker and darker and darker and darker through the seal, trumpet, and bold judgments. Then Jesus comes to the earth and it's his brightest day. He rules and reigns for a thousand years. But it gets dark at the end of the millennium again. It's all part of the day of the Lord. Why? Because people who enter the millennium will study this and their natural bodies will have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and some of them will not believe. And after the devil is released, he will tempt some of them to go against God's Christ. Then that will be put down. We'll enter into the eternal statement and the final uh, eternal state and the final judgment of all the lost. But for some of the events that take place in the near future, what we call the seven-year tribulation period, things like the abomination of desolation, where the Antichrist goes in and defiles a rebuilt temple. Again, Israel has to be back in the land. They have to have a desire and a plan to want to rebuild the temple. All those things are happening. You have to have, for the events of the seven-year period, to take place some kind of global reset, where there's a joining at the hip, the nations of the world, economically, governmentally, religiously. 
And so we've been studying that. Here's a photo of the World Economic Forum. This was taken just eight months ago. 2,500 world leaders from across the planet met together. They called it, quote, in May of 2022, history at a turning point, governmental policies and business strategies. And of course, if you've been following the news, they just met again in the last 10 days. What was the theme this time? The theme this time was partnership for global LGBTQA equalities. So people say, well, we have a problem with moral perversion in the United States. It's global now. It's across the planet. And of course, that's one of the marks of the final time period in human history. The coming of the Son of Man will be like Noah's day, days of moral impropriety. And the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of law, days of moral perversion. And then it's pictured here, this is the Congress of World and Traditional Religions. Not only is there a bleeding together of governments, but there's a bleeding together of religions. And pictured in this first slide is the head of the United Nations asking the governments of the world to join together with the religious entities of the world. Here's another photo. Of course, the Pope attended this meeting and gave much leadership to it. And they signed a document. This just met in Kakistan in November, just a few months back. Signed a document with 35 major world religions. And they all agreed that they would not say that their religion is better than another religion. May I inform the Pope of Rome that there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so he signed that same document. I read it through. It's fascinating. And the name of Jesus doesn't appear once. That's a denial of Jesus before men. And so events are happening, and sadly, many of God's people are blind to what is happening. When Paul addressed the church at Thessalonica, he reminded us that Jesus' return will be like a thief in the night. That is in reference to the lost. But in reference to the saved, he says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. And he could say that of the church at Thessalonica. And it should be true of all churches that we understand God's prophetic schedule enough that while no one knows the day or the hour, you can know the season. But sadly, we live in a day of replacement theology. Replacement theology has put the church asleep. They say there's no significance for Israel. Israel is no more significant, they would argue, than Uganda. Nothing could be further from the truth. And so the Lord Jesus is coming back. The scripture reminds us, inasmuch as it is appointed for a man to die once, for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. For those of us who have been saved, who are eagerly awaiting, he's coming back for salvation. To those who have never met him, he's coming back not as savior, but as judge. It's appointed for a man to die once. 
And then comes the judgment. Now, that's the general principle that God gives us in his word. Many times God will lay down a principle, and then he'll give exceptions to the principle. For instance, two remarkable exceptions that most of us know would be Enoch and Elijah, where they were swept right off the earth and up into heaven. And so, in one sense, they didn't die once, at least not in the traditional sense. And then, of course, there are several people, eight to be specific, who died, but then were raised, not from the dead like Jesus. They weren't resurrected to life. He was the first, but they were raised back to life only to die again. And so in that sense, they died twice. Not to mention the Bible says, we shall not all sleep. We shall not all die. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so those who are alive at the rapture will be swept away. So we won't even die once in the traditional way. But the principle remains the same. It's an important principle. Men will die, and then ultimately they will meet God in judgment. And when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back for the lost in reference to salvation. He's coming back in reference to judgment. He is a holy, omniscient, all-searchable, searching, powerful God, and no one will be able to escape his sight. And of course, when he comes back to judge, the scripture teaches that that judgment will happen through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus said here in John 5 and verse 22. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Or Peter preached in Acts 10 there in Caesarea. And he ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that this is the one. He's talking about Jesus. This is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Likewise, Paul on Mars Hill in Acts 17. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. Why? Because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So when he comes, if you're lost, he's not coming as your savior. He is coming as your judge. Those who have ignored him, those who have cursed him, those who have disbelieved him, those who have denied him, will meet him in all of his righteousness, in all of his holiness. Now, sadly, most unbelievers, and sadly, many believers as well, think that out there in the front, there's just one big general judgment. They may have differences as to what they think will happen, but they think there's one big general judgment. The unbeliever thinks that that is the point that will determine whether or not God will let them in. You know, the big scale in the sky kind of mentality. Whereas the believer recognizes, no, it's just a time of separation. It's already settled. But the truth is, is there's not one big general judgment. Actually, there are seven coming judgments that are unfolding in Scripture. And I say coming judgments because there are some judgments that have already happened in the past, some that are going on in the present. And then I say seven judgments for people because there are other judgments as it relates to Satan and his demons, his fallen angels, and even a judgment for holy angels that the Apostle Paul reminds us that we as believers will participate in. And so here's a chart that maybe will help you to sort these things out. Again, the next event on God's schedule is the rapture. The church will be caught up in the air. And there is what's called the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5. It's the believer's judgment. 
Again, it's not to see if you'll go to heaven. That's settled ever before you die by what you do with Jesus. But it is a judgment where God evaluates our service and he rewards us accordingly. Also at the second coming, Daniel 12 and verse 2, Old Testament saints are raised up. And so God's people who knew and love him in the Old Testament era, right now they're in heaven, but they haven't been resurrected. The first to be resurrected will be the church. At the second coming, Daniel 12, 2, Old Testament saints are resurrected. And again, God will reward them accordingly in terms of their service. In addition to that, when Jesus comes at his second coming, dead tribulation saints will be raised. They'll be raised with Old Testament believers. And so those martyred saints during the time of the great tribulation, they'll be brought up at the second coming and rewarded accordingly before entering into the kingdom. Living Jews will be raised up and separated at the second coming. We'll study this more next time. God will take all the living Jews who survived the tribulation and separate unbelieving Jews from believing Jews. Not all Jews will believe. That's a common fallacy and misnomer in our day. But nonetheless, that judgment will happen at the second coming. Living Gentiles, we'll study that next time as well. It's called the judgment of the sheep and the goats. They will be judged at that time. So again, they'll be separated like the living Jews. Those living Jews who are believers will enter the kingdom in their natural bodies. We'll study this when we come to the millennium. Living Gentiles who are saved, they'll enter the kingdom in their natural bodies. That's still in the future, that judgment of separation. At the second coming, the Antichrist and the false prophet will be judged. And of course, they have a reverse rapture because they're very much alive at the second coming. And just like we'll be translated in the twinkling of an eye and prepared for heaven, they will be translated and prepared with a new body for hell that will never be consumed. It's a reverse rapture of sorts. They will be the very first two occupants of the coming lake of fire. Today, men die and they go to Hades. There's coming a day when Hades and death and the whole shebang will be cast into the lake of fire. And then at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, there's the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. After this current heaven and earth are destroyed, after Christ has ruled on it for a thousand years, the final judgment of all time will take place. Why does he wait till the very end of time for this final judgment? We will see why when we come to that. So each of these judgments, they differ in time, in purpose, in circumstance. And I say seven judgments on humans because the final judgment on Satan and his demons are again separate just like holy angels. Now, we're in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. It has special application and will have incredible interest for those who will be alive during the time frame when this period unfolds. But remember, all scripture is given by the breath of God. It's all profitable and so God has something to say to his church saints today. Chapters 24 and 25 are kind of a sermon, so we often call it the Olivet Discourse, but it's given to four people, and it's given in light of some statements that Jesus has made and some questions that that precipitated in their hearts. If you remember initially in the prior chapter, in chapter 23, he had been speaking to the multitudes. He'd been speaking to the religious leaders into masses of people. 
And of course, Jesus rebukes and exposes the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, and he compares them to those who killed the prophets of God. And of course, he indicts the people who followed them as well. And so Jesus makes an incredible statement in Matthew 23, 36. Notice, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And these things that he's referring to is the destruction of the temple and the worldwide scattering of the Jews that he will mention. And so he quotes Psalm 122.1 that speaks of the house of the Lord, and that house shall be left desolate, the scripture says. It's going to be destroyed. So that helps us to understand the discussion that begins here in chapter 24. I'm laying the foundation, the context, and if you don't see it, you'll miss what God wants to say. Look at verse one. Jesus came out from the temple. It was going away when the disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. Now, who are the disciples? You should have written in the margin by now, Mark 13, three, next to verse one. There's four disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And so he meets with them. This is Tuesday. He comes on the prophetic day that Daniel wrote about, and he presents himself to Israel as the promised Messiah on Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday. This is Tuesday. Passover, he's crucified on Friday. And so the scripture tells us in Mark 13 and verse 3, he is sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's facing the temple. So his back is not to the temple. If I'm on the top of the Mount of Olives and there's a peak right there, I'm looking across the Kidron Valley. I'm looking at the temple, what today would be the Dome of the Rock that, of course, was not there at that point. And it was a breathtaking building. Gold, silver, bronze, exceptional masonry, To say it's going to be destroyed, that's like saying the Twin Towers are going to come down. What do you mean they're going to come down? They're the largest buildings in the world. How could they come down? And so they're curious. Verse 2, and he said to them, do you not see all these things? They just pointed it out. Truly I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down, which prompts the questions in verse three. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples, these four, came to him privately saying, tell us when, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? You'll notice there's three questions, technically, grammatically, two questions, with the second question coming in two parts. Tell us, when will these things happen? When will this temple be destroyed? When will the Jewish people turn to you? Hey, listen, I would say to my amillennialist friend that says the church has replaced Israel, they have missed the plain teaching of Scripture. Their theology comes out of Catholicism, not out of Holy Scripture. Because Jesus, when he quotes Psalm 118, says he cannot, he will not come back until... The Jewish people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Jewish people that he's speaking about, he says, I cannot come back until they turn to me in genuine faith. And so what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? When will you come in glory and power as the prophets wrote of you? And when will you come to live and reign on the earth? In this coming kingdom that we've studied through the whole Old Testament with you, Jesus, over these three years. 
And so in Matthew chapter 24, he takes us all the way through this seven-year tribulation period that leads up to the second coming. And at the end of it, notice verses 33 and 34. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. All what things? All the things that are described there in that 24th chapter. The seal, the trumpet, the bold judgments, Israel turning to faith, the abomination of desolation. Now, sadly, Hal Lindsey wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth, and he confused a lot of people. He went to the same seminary I did, and he never was taught what he presented. And so he posited, when Israel becomes a nation, a generation will not pass away. That's not what Jesus is speaking of. That abuses the context, but it made him a multimillionaire. Very sad, I hope he gets his life right. He's at the end of life. Four marriages, a serial adulterer, but a rich man off the backs of ignorant Christians. When you see, if you are alive, when you see these seal, trumpet, and bold judgments, look up, he's coming you will see his literal physical return. And so he ends his pericope in verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Now that's the context of what we're going to study this morning. Jesus tells us that most people will be like the folks in Noah's day, totally unprepared when he comes back. And he wants his people to be in a state of readiness. And so he's going to unfold for us two parables so that we are ready to meet our judge. Chapter 25, verse 1. I know some of you don't have Bibles. I've learned that about 50% of the people who come to our church don't even own a Bible. And so if you don't own one, come to meet the pastor tonight and we will give you one. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they did not take extra oil with them, but the prudent ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. Now while the groom was delaying, they all became drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there finally was a shout, Behold the groom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish virgins said to the prudent ones, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. However, the prudent ones answered, no, there most certainly would not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the groom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Yet later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert because you do not know the day or the hour. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 023. If you have a question that you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally, 
You can do that on Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.